The Start On On Demand. Hey, it's Brett. It's the Tuesday edition of the podcast for The Start with Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And today we're going to talk about saying things that we eventually come to regret. As one NBA star is learning to regret the fact that he once rather vehemently said, The earth is flat. The earth is flat. The earth is flat. Also, Amazon raising its minimum wage to $15 in the United States. Ours, by comparison here in Manitoba, is $11.35. Richard Cloutier has led a team putting together a series on Winnipeg's meth crisis. A lot of people in the city say it's not a crisis, but officials and leaders are very much saying this is a huge problem. Richard spent a lot of time with emergency crews, and you'll hear some of that as we kick off a week-long series on this crisis. And Cirque du Soleil returns to Winnipeg this week. We are going to hear from Two performers involved in Crystal, which is playing at Bell MTS Place Wednesday through Sunday. One of them from Winnipeg. Mackling McGarry McNabb on the start on 680 CJOB. Jeff Braun is here. Kelly Moore is here. And guys, uh, listen, I know that we just said we're going to continue to talk about meth. But sometimes a headline is just so irresistible that you have to call an audible. You have to balk. Just trying to think of other sports What's terms. balk again? Sorry. Kelly Moore? Yeah. Uh, What's a balk? Can you th- uh, make like you're going to throw the baseball and then you don't? Yeah, drop pass. Yeah. Uh, Reverse angle. That, that clears it up. Reverse angle. Stat- okay. What What's it called when the horse trips over the thing that tries to jump over? Uh, a, a bad fall? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a horse fell in the mud. So the headline here is NBA's Kyrie Irving. Sorry he ever said, quote, the earth is flat. The earth is flat. The earth is flat. <laughs> How did he feel about uh, the Earth and whether or not it was flat or not? He was pretty emphatic, wasn't he? The Earth is flat. <laughs> I think there was a few years where he went on that because I was listening to some audio this morning coming in and about how he talked about, um, or they talked about the fact that he had been asked repeatedly about this because he said it once, and so he kept having to say, yes, I still believe it. He kept doubling down. And then finally, uh, in the last uh, couple of days, have said, you know, like, have you ever... You ever just started YouTubing things and you go down a rabbit hole and you find yourself believing something that, you know, for that moment feels really true. And for him, it was the earth is flat. So plausibility became uh, reality in the mind of Kyrie Irving. Cult leaders lined up outside that guy's door getting into <laughs> <joined up. laughs> He will clearly fall for anything. <laughs> yeah, a year and a half after rattling uh, the NBA world and beyond by saying he had no doubt that the earth was flat, Boston Celtics star point guard Kyrie Irving says he regrets ever bringing up the topic. Have, have you ever gone down that, that path where you say, oh boy, shouldn't have done this. Where, where, what, what was I thinking exactly? You've ever been in a situation like that, McNabb? I have um, 
gone down the Yeti hole. That sounds wrong, but I like I've gone I've gone down on online. <laughs> oh, you just did. You just did. <laughs> right on the earth. The earth is flat. I just meant that you know, like you start talking about things, or you see a documentary on TV, and you're like, like you know, even documentaries, you know, purport to have all facts in them, but they, sometimes they can be skewed to the way you want it. And so mm. I have definitely done a lot of googling on like Sasquatches and. Oh, and and the like, yes. Yeah. Wow. Were you, were you eating beef jerky while you were doing it? No. No. Is that no. why? What's the correlation you know, there? That, that, that Jack's wild beef jerky just or makes whatever, you a little crazy. Commercials, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they 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 poke the Sasquatch to, well, to get them to go. Like, what yeah. happens if someone posts a video and then you look at that video? Same way we were talking about the Ogopogo a yeah. couple weeks ago or whatever, and you know, you just start going down and you're like, okay, well, what's the next thing I could find? And so you do get like the more you start googling something. Well, Kokanee had uh, the Mugwump, right? The yeah. Sasquatch. And they had these commercials back in the 80s. And the and the Mugwump would come home and the wife would be in the kitchen and would say, so you spot any humans? No, no, just this guy with the camera. And they would play <laughs> up on it. And it was a very yeah. clever mar- clever marketing campaign. You go down rabbit holes like that? I do. I, I'm not willing to, like, I, I don't believe it. But I the one I, I like investigating and going deep on is uh, that Stanley Kubrick Filmed mm-hmm. fake film the moon landing, and there's all these clues in The Shining that point to the that he had to sign his life away that he you know NASA made him sign the thing. You can't tell anybody that we faked this moon landing, and so we put all these clues in The Shining. The kids got an Apollo 11 sweater on. They changed a bunch of the hotel room numbers for from the book for no real reason except that the numbers match numbers from the mission and stuff like that. Oh my there's god! A, there's a lot. I watch a half-hour YouTube documentary and, so that's you just did, like boom, 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 boom. You you heard about this and just wanted to know what the like. Yeah, what? that's one of the, one of the big uh, the, uh, conspiracy theories has always been that Kubrick faked it. Is it? Do possible? you believe it? No. Is it possible that he was just messing with people based on these theories? I wonder. That could be. Like just have, he's like, like ah, you know what? I'm just yeah. gonna drop in a bunch of clues but here. But it's also a thing like the kid in Apollo Eleven sweater on, but. That was a big thing at the time, right? Like the space program was famous then for that. So okay. it, it sort of made sense that a kid would wear a sweater like that anyway. I think it's one of those those conspiracy theories that if you want to believe yeah, it, that one's pretty easy. Like if you want to believe it, you could easily convince yourself that that, that, that one is true. I uh, Well, I remember when I first learned about Snopes. That's the website that helps to debunk whether it's myths or fake, uh, you know, false headlines, whatever. And uh, I think I first learned about it in like 2002 or 2003. And now ever since then, that ends up being sort of my, that'll be like the second resource. If I see a headline that I just have a hard time believing, I'll just type that headline into Google and see what else pops up. And if nothing pops up, there's a good chance it's probably crap and then i'll go to snopes and see if they've got anything on it because i have been burned by i can't i wish i could remember an example of the headline but hey did you hear about this oh my god this is so amazing uh that's wrong that's just a scam it's just garbage so maybe check your head well that's where the rumors come in right i got an email a couple of weeks ago from a friend that said did you can you believe the pope said this and i looked at it and i was like <laughs> yeah I, I can't believe the pope said that and then she felt so stupid and i was like no no like the article i mean the problem is it's all made to look like yeah. so real and, and they take they, they'll take a cut line from say cnn for example and make it look like it was cnn or the view or somebody you know yeah. had this actual interview on this subject i said no that's okay like the don't feel bad she's like oh i do feel bad i talked about it at work for quite well, some Kelly- time 
Actually, in your world of sports, for how many years did you hear rumors about trades that were about to take place? Did you ever get caught with one and and maybe go to air with one a little bit early? Knock on wood, I uh, was brought up in the old school that you picked up the phone and you uh, talked to people that were directly involved. Now, that's not to say that I've never had uh, a coach or general manager I don't want to say lie, but maybe misrepresent what was going on. Yeah. But no, it's in our business, like you have to, uh, you just simply cannot take a chance on uh, on going that route. Uh, I'm sitting here listening to all of these websites you guys go on. I'm thinking, man, I'm missing a lot. <laughs> well, You're not. It's a time waster. Oh, is it? Yeah, okay. <laughs> As we wrap up here, the, the one example that just came to mind that I think maybe is <laughs> sort of a quintessential uh, demonstrator of what Kelly just talked about, multiple sources. This goes back, I don't know how many years, but I was technical producer for Charles Adler, and multiple news sources were confirming that Gordon Lightfoot was yes. dead. And then Gordon Lightfoot called into the show and said, hi, it's Gordon Lightfoot. I'm I'm still alive. Can I talk to Charles? <laughs> so we put him on the air for 15 minutes. That and turned it turned out wonderful. to be a fantastic interview. <laughs> yeah, it was great. And right now we want to talk about Amazon. Amazon, they announced this morning, I guess it, it kind of broke on all the social, social medias, as Brett likes to say, that they are raising their minimum wage for all their employees in the United States to $15 per hour. So it goes in effect next month. Is that, I believe it's what it said, and it's for 250000 employees and then another 150,000 part-timers. So uh, depending on where you live geographically in the United States, this will have a huge impact uh, either to raise your standard of living or maybe just get caught up, right? Because there are certain parts of the country, like in Canada, where it's more expensive to live. So if you're in Seattle, you'll be breathing a sigh of relief. This will help you a tiny bit, maybe try and catch up. But if you're in some of the other dis- distribution centers and some of the other warehouses across the United States in areas where it's not so expensive to live, $15 an hour is not bad. Of course, they were promising that, uh, Loren, in Ontario. And now that uh, Doug Ford is premier, they're backing off on that promise to go to $15 an hour. And the minimum wage in, in Manitoba, if you didn't notice it on your paycheck, you will notice it on your next paycheck, went up 20 cents to eleven thirty-five in our province. Yeah, when you compare Manitoba to other provinces, we're certainly behind. Argument might be that, you know, we have a different population and the cost of living is much lower. I know Alberta is forging ahead with its $15 per hour minimum wage, and I think they're going to go even higher than that. But the questions come back a bunch of times here and elsewhere in Canada that does there need to be a certain living wage? What what would that be? What would that be to make you say, okay, I could live off that if I happen to be a minimum wage earner for 40 hours a week? What does that mean? Like in terms of a living wage, like when you hear that, Brett, do you, do you have a concept of what, if someone says this is a living wage, do you have a concept of what you should be able to afford or expect uh, a certain lifestyle threshold when you hear mm. that terminology, minimum wage? Uh, yeah, when I think of minimum wage or a living wage, I just think of enough to, to pay my bills and, and buy my groceries and maybe luxurious items or, you know, fun probably wouldn't get counted into that. 
Uh, like when I was working those weekend shifts uh, here at CJOB on the weekend, I mean, those were, you know, that was only a $14 an hour gig, right? So the $15 an hour, not bad. Although, is Amazon doing this because they're... No, they've been good, no, or? they've been so heavily criticized over the especially when they hit was it a trillion mm-hmm. that a trillion right so mm-hmm. a trillion dollar company in September and so they were Bernie Sanders was one of them in the states coming out uh, after them and talking about how you know they're subsidized in so many ways um, and half their employees or not half you know a certain percentage of their employees have to use food stamps and all the rest and so they were basically you know his argument was like this is a trillion dollar company i think the number for as a jeff bezos uh, makes 1.7 million dollars um a day yeah i'm not that even that sounds low <laughs> so yeah like you know and then the average employees earning 28,000 dollars a year versus, you know, the millions of dollars that are being earned at the top. And so I I would argue that, and even in their statement, they said, look, we're responding to criticism that we've heard. We've heard you and we're going to do better by our our employees. So is $15 better? Well, Senator Bernie Sanders last month introducing legislation called the Bezos Act to tax corporations for every dollar their low-wage workers receive in government health care benefits or food stamps. And he tweeted out, Amazon is worth $1 trillion. Jeff Bezos is worth $155 billion. Thousands of Amazon workers have to rely on food stamps, Medicaid, and public housing to survive. This is what a rigged economy looks like. Tomorrow, we will introduce a bill to end subsidies for low-wage employees, or employers. Pardon me, And that was, uh, that was on September 4th. And here we are a month later, and Amazon has responded. Well, you know, we've heard stories for years about employees of certain large retailers in the United States. Uh, I'll keep the name out of it. Uh, that when they get hired, they actually included in their hiring packet are directions to certain social services in the United States so that they can they can maintain a certain lifestyle. And when some of the richest people in America uh, are, in fact, the owners of of this giant chain of retail stores, you have to scratch your head and wonder about who's subsidizing who in terms of their time and in terms of their money. And how do we balance this out a little bit? I have ze- I, I, I read the book by the founder mm-hmm. of that company and loved just about everything about it and how they created the corporate culture and structure and how they went from a five and dime store to what they've become. But something I think has got lost a- along the way. And, and I don't know, I, I'm not into the Robin Hood thing, take from the rich and give to the poor. Uh, but when you work for a profitable company and a company that does pretty well, I think you're entitled to a certain share of that. And just for the math's sake, 15 bucks an hour, if you're if that's your full-time job, 40 hours a week, 52 weeks a year, you're making $31,000 a year. And right now we want to revisit as we open the show with the topic of meth. Well, we know it's cheap and it's available in Manitoba and the high also lasts for hours. For months now, we've been talking about on CGOB and Global News the fact that Winnipeg police have been warning there is, in fact, a meth crisis in this province. And as it spreads, so does the risk to you. We've already told you about the 1,200% rise in people going to hospitals because they're struggling with a meth-induced psychosis and rushing them to the ERs are frontline workers. 
just nine months into the year, and calls to the Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service for crystal meth have already exceeded the record number they got in all of 2017. CJOB's Richard Cloutier spent several nights riding along with EMS. Here's just some of what he witnessed. Feels like my heart brain is hot or something. In the back of an ambulance with a 30-something man who's been drinking and on a meth-fueled high since Wednesday. I feel like I neglected myself completely. It's a Friday night on McPhillips. I on meth. I haven't gotten any rest. One time you smoked, or has it been a couple of times that you smoked since? Three times, yeah. Three times? A few times, yeah. Three times, okay. I smoked it today. Okay. And I acknowledge that, that this is a, like one of the drugs that I like, slipped. There is a wide variety of calls that we see. Ryan Sneath is with the Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service. You'll see one similar to what you've just seen, uh, where an individual is relatively calm, easy to manage, easy to talk to. Um, so I'll say that can be deceiving in itself in that how we, what their disposition ends up being at the hospital. So that individual could go to the waiting room and then that individual could go into a psychotic break or have some other episode in the waiting room where their mood all of a sudden immediately changes without any notification at all. Uh, So that's why they're particularly difficult to deal with. Um, We also have circumstances where their behavior is uh, completely psychotic and they're very difficult to manage and they're in a state of of a delirium or an excited delirium where it requires significant manpower, significant staffing uh, and significant resources to, to manage those individuals safely. The fire paramedic service has exceeded last year's total of 768 calls. By the end of August, 779 calls, and officials say there are way more than that. The man in the back of the ambulance says meth is easily found. The methamphetamine primarily comes from the West Coast. Winnipeg Police Inspector Max Waddell is with the Organized Crime Unit. And from there, uh, our sources are telling a good chunk comes from the Mexican drug cartels. Uh, Meth is quite easily manufactured. Uh, There are no what we believe to be any real prominent meth labs in Winnipeg. I mean, we've come across the odd small one, but nothing that would produce meth on large quantities. But we know it comes from the West Coast, and, it, and it's just a matter of us identifying those traffickers and uh, arresting them uh, you know, as, of, as available. That is 680 CJOB's Richard Cloutier who put that package together, and he will speak with us live at 837 as we go into more detail throughout the week to learn more about the meth crisis and some are questioning whether it is a crisis but police have come out and used that word that it is a crisis and it's only getting worse and one of the questions we want to ask richard because i know i've heard it through the grapevine on more than one occasion that police are increasingly being called to ems calls where there is what assumes is assumed to be at the time a meth-induced psychosis and so EMS workers are are having the added stress of not only trying to help someone who's afflicted with some sort of injury or sickness Loren but they're dealing with someone that may for all intents and purposes uh, be acting like or genuine genuinely not want their help well from what we've heard from health professionals they're hearing voices right so when you talk about that psychosis they think somebody's about to hurt them or attack them or maybe that they're being hurt. So if you consider the scenario where a paramedic's going in 
with what they're trained to do, which is to help that person. And then that person, if high, feels like that's not help, it's hurt, and, and they react accordingly. We've already heard the security guards at HSC this summer talk about how someone on a meth-induced high used a syringe with some blood in it and <sighs> scraped someone's forehead. It had no needle in it, but they, you know, it hit the guy in the head right. with it, right? I mean, when, was that person in that moment thinking that that guard was hurting them, not helping them. And so if police are also using resources to respond to all these other types of scenarios, then that's just going to pull them away from all the other things we need to worry about. It feels like just 18 months ago, the biggest concern was this whole idea of fentanyl and carfentanyl and, and residue and and uh, getting naloxone or the, the Narcan kits for first responders and for police officers. And that, that was going to be a drain on resources in terms of responding to certain kinds of calls and the whole idea of, of police safety and frontline worker and first responder safety. So we're on a whole other level now. It's a whole new ballgame. Just 18 months later. I just did a quick Google. I just typed meth Winnipeg, and the first couple of hits that pop up are from Global News. And uh, one of the headlines is, I want more. Winnipeg meth user shares his struggle with addiction. And it's uh, from Amber McGookin, who goes on to detail how this person, this man named Tom, had uh, before drugs. He had it all, two kids, a family, and a loving home. Uh, but he gave it all up for drugs. That's just one example of how this drug can decimate a person's life and then maybe end up having side effects on the lives of others as well. It's hard for people to grab, but I'm, I've am i read it. I've talked about it before. We've talked about it before and addictions experts and I'm on, I'm just trying to see the website here. It's um, a national United States library of medicine. So it talks about dopamine, which is what comes through the meth high. And so if you have a hamburger that elevates those levels in your brain by 300%, the impact of meth is 1,200%. So if you have that good feeling of eating a hamburger and you're like, oh, I'm going to take another bite of this hamburger, you know that feeling. So now you can imagine that person when they try that try meth for the first time and it's like a 1,200% influx of dopamine to your body and you're just like, oh my gosh. It's hard to imagine why would someone would want that in the first place. But that's that's what they're talking about, that feeling it leaves on the body and therefore that's what What's what they keep going after? Yeah, they're searching for that genuine high. And we were discussing while we were listening to that last piece, the whole idea uh, about marijuana and the fact that it's natural from from the earth versus something that's synthetic, something that's engineered to mess you up. This is what these this is what these uh, drug dealers and uh, the people at the head of this monster are doing. They're trying to figure out a way to create something to engineer a drug that's going to want to have you wanting more over and over and over again. It's so diabolical that that we do this to each other and that someone at the at the top of this food chain is is making millions, if not billions of dollars on this. We're getting spoiled with big shows, aren't we? Yeah. You know, we just had Paul McCartney here Friday night, just announced on Power 97, 21 Pilots is coming in May. That's very exciting. I have to find a way to get tickets for my kids. And then, of course, John Mellencamp is here later on this week. And once John Mellencamp hits the road, what's happening at Bell MTS Place? Well, we've got Cirque du Soleil, Crystal. And it starts tomorrow, and uh, I'm very excited to go see this show because I like Cirque du Soleil. Last year, or I guess it was was it 
Yeah, last year we saw mm-hmm. Curios, Curios yeah. under the big top. Did you see that, McGann? Yeah, I loved it. It yeah. was tremendous. That was yeah. my 40th birthday present, and it was a good one. Good yeah. seats, good show. Yeah, every time I go see a Cirque du Soleil show. Why did I'd... you get a 40th birthday present 10 years in advance? Oh, isn't that sweet yeah. of you to say? Yes, you're right. I'm only, I'm only 30. <laughs> celebrating early. Yeah, what a charmer. So in studio we, with us, we have a couple of performers in Crystal. We have Robin Johnstone, who is from Winnipeg. Yes, hello. And Andy Buchanan, who is your husband, but yes. he's from Edmonton, so... <laughs> Don't say it like that. Well, <laughs> you get full marks for marrying a Winnipeg gal because we all know all the best-looking women in North America are from Winnipeg, uh, but you kind of lose points for being from Edmonton. I agree on the first point. So, Robin, let's start with you. Uh, what's your background that led you to Cirque du Soleil? Well... I grew up in Steinbach and I skated in Steinbach and uh, I started off competing until very high level and I ended up moving to the city to train and do more of that. But I always loved um, the artistic side. So I knew I was going to join an ice show at some point. So I've actually done shows for over 20 years now. And, you know, through that time, I've I've been to many Cirque du Soleil uh, shows and we were always like, when are they going to put it on ice? When, when, when? And Andy and I actually, because we've skated quite a long time, we were thinking, oh, we're, I don't know if we want to do another long tour. And then this opportunity came up and we were like, we can't pass this up. We have to send in our resume and audition and do all that. So we're very, very fortunate that we got picked to be on this show. The very first Cirque du Soleil ice show. So incorporating ice and all the acrobatics that you normally see. So, and bonus, I get to skate with my husband. Right, so, so the tour might be long, but you get to be together. Exactly, yeah, totally. exactly. Yeah. So it's been kind of a dream come true this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and you mentioned the acrobatics, and Andy, uh, how much of that did you two, did you, I guess the question is, did the two of you have to learn new stuff for this show? Well, yeah, like we've, we've done a little bit on other shows, but Cirque du Soleil is a whole other level. So uh, it's a perfect marriage of acrobatics and skating. So one of the things I get to do is uh, uh, we have this thing. It's a mix of Chinese pole and Russian swing. And so it's a pole that swings and I'm on it and I'm basically the motor that's pushing. And I, we get up to height, basically the, the height of the truss. And people dismount, and they land on mats like six by six. It's it's insane. So you're on skates for that? I'm on skates, yeah. And are, and and are just, they? Like- yes. And so my feet are just barely touching the platform. It's just the edge of my blade. So it's, it's really cool. And then the acrobats are in these mm-hmm. specially made shoes for ice. That's like they've never had it before. We had to create them. Um, just so that they could run and do all these extra acrobatics. So they've got special spikes on the bottom of these shoes that Cirque has created for them. So you see them running and doing crazy stuff while we're skating, and it's it's this amazing blend of it. So, yeah, mm-hmm. like the, the act Andy's talking about, he's in skates, but the acrobats are in these shoes so that they can run and land on the mats. One of the themes of, I think, every Cirque show I've gone to is the sound that you hear from the audience, which is, <gasps> oh, <yeah. laughs> because part of you is amazed, and then part of you is like, oh, my gosh, no, yeah. like, don't do it almost, right? So for you, did it mm-hmm. did it cross another uh, level of not just skill, but that, I don't want to use fear, but that you have to put really put yourself out there? Oh, yeah, like that number in particular. When I first saw it, I was like, there is no way I'm doing that. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, hey, so we're going to get some of the skaters to try. And I was like, you try to act cool because you don't want to look like an idiot in front of the acrobats. uh, (laughs) But then afterwards, it was so awesome. Like, I love it. And, you know, it's a process. Everything, you work your way up to things. It's a safety thing. But, you know, so what you get to see is something we've been rehearsing for months and months. 
but for the audience, it's like insane. So I've always had the perception that uh, ballet dancers and figure skatings or uh, skaters are two of the best athletes on the planet. So how do you go from, and you kind of touched on it just a tiny bit. It's a little bit at a time, right? The whole question, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? You have to just kind of learn and and get your gumption up to get to the point where you can do these incredible acrobatics, even though... You've been a figure skater by trade. Yeah, exactly. And to do any acrobatics, um, we're surrounded by world-class gymnasts and acro acro people. So I completely trust them. Like uh, when Andy lifts me in the air, I completely trust him on the ice. So um, it actually makes you feel a little bit better because they've had so many years of experience like we have on the ice. And then you just kind of slowly work at it. And, I mean, we've been open this show is for one year now, this yeah. this year. It'll be our 300th uh, show on 300th Wednesday. 300th show, and we opened October 5th last year. But we still do rehearsals every single day. We It's not even just maintaining the show. We are constantly improving, and that's the beauty with Cirque. They, they have this room to let the show breathe and keep building and evolving and changing and making it better. Mm-hmm. It doesn't just stay the way it was. So, yeah, it's so exciting. There's the acrobatics, and there's the different skills on the ice, but there's a story here, too. Yeah, I think I think the number, my favorite number in the show, well, first of all, the show is about this girl, Crystal. She falls through the ice because she, she doesn't really fit in in her own world. So she finds this other world underneath the ice uh, where she kind of learns a lot about herself. And it's like almost like an Alice in Wonderland feeling. Um, but one of the numbers that marries skating and acrobatics perfectly, is, it's called the hand of trapeze number where uh, there's Crystal comes out and she's walking and she never touches the ice. She walks on the guy's hands. And then we take her and we skate with her and do lifts with this uh, contortionist. And then all of a sudden she gets thrown up to somebody on a trapeze. You don't even see it coming. So it's like a mix of trapeze, they hand acrobatics, and then and skating. So it's like this perfect marriage. And it's it's it gives me goosebumps just like talking about it. It's it's a beautiful story, and it it tells it it kind of sums up the entire story. And it it shows really what Cirque is about and what skating is about, and that how the marriage really works. Well, I've. I was excited before, but now my excitement is through the roof. You just used the word goosebumps. And, uh, man, I am getting really stoked for this. Cirque du Soleil. Crystal opens in Winnipeg tomorrow at Bell MTS Place, and it runs through Sunday. Seven performances only, and tickets are still available. We have in studio with us two of the performers, Robin Johnstone and Andy Buchanan. Robin is a Winnipegger, Andy's from Edmonton, and they're married, and they have a background in skating. But, Andy, this show combines, uh, we heard, gymnasts and acrobats, but there's, I remember seeing in the commercials, like, ramps and stuff. That guy is taking these high-speed ramps, and that's a crashed ice connection? Yeah, so this isn't like, we. it's not your typical ice show. It's a Cirque du Soleil show on ice. So you're not going to get just figure skating. You're not just going to get acrobatics. But we have some guys from Crashed Ice that do these this ramp number. It's like a skate park almost on the ice, but you don't have the friction. So they go twice as fast and twice as high, and they do twice as many flips in the air. It's insane what they do. So we have it's a mix of uh, people from the rollerblading community and Crashed Ice. So we got the Moriarty twins from mm-hmm. Crashed Ice that are in our show. Those guys are awesome. And Martin, he's like... French champion for years. He's amazing. And then we got a couple of rollerbladers with us as well. So, you know, you're going to see, first of all, the charisma with those guys, plus they just, what they do in the air is insane. Yeah. And I have to say, we haven't touched on that. We have live music, like most Cirque shows have 
live musicians. So while this is all going on, and these guys are doing this incredible number, there's kind of like rock guitar going on in the background. Yeah, and Camila's shredding it's a, it up up there. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, it's really fun. It's like high energy. It's it's one of my favorite numbers in the show. It's great. This has to be unlike anything you two have ever done in the past. Oh, there's nothing like it for sure. Yeah, no, just incorporating all these extra um, factors and, you know, the the guys jumping on the ramps and, and trapeze artists and, yeah, just putting it all together. We've done a, a little bit of aerial stuff before and ice shows are touching on it, but just the amount of extra acrobatics and stuff oh. like that, it's just amazing. Are you exhausted by the end? Because it sounds like, I mean, I know you can be prepared and you can be in shape and you said you train every mm-hmm. single day, but by the end of the show, I mean, what's, what's the whole group just laying on the ice like... Yeah, you're exhausted, yeah. but it's so exciting. Like, it's a, you love what you do, so you don't want to hold back. You want to just give it because everybody else is pushing it so much that you just want to every show yeah. push as much as you can. And not only that, you never know. It could be someone's very first time ever seeing a show, and they've saved up their money all year to come. And for me, it's a, a huge deal. You know, I try and we we both try and make every show exactly the same, the same energy. It doesn't matter how you feel. If you're like feeling a little under the weather, you dig a little deeper because, you know, these people have paid a lot of money and we love performing. So, you know, you have to, you have to give them a good show. Totally. Well, tickets are still available for Cirque du Soleil. Crystal, a breakthrough ice experience. It opens tomorrow night at Bell MTS Place. And I get to go and I'm so excited. (laughs) So Robin, John Stone, Andy Buchanan, in the show. Thank you so much for stopping by to tell us about Thank this. It just you. sounds so wild. The Start On Demand is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.